This series, Why Church, is an explanation of why we do what we do, what church is. There is an, a gathering of people all over the world today. Some of them are happening right now. Some of them will happen in different time zones at different hours. But collectively, we make up the body of Christ. Collectively. Not this one is the body of Christ and that one ain't. Y'all okay so far? We may have preferences and we may not like what some of them do, but if they're preaching Jesus is the only way to God, Jesus is the only means that salvation can take place and the exchange has already happened because he did it, we have to receive it. If that church, wherever they are, is preaching that, I'm for them. And they're part of our body together. But interestingly, the church, as described by the Lord, is also this. You're the house of God now. When Jesus died, the old temple, the old tabernacle, the old place where the Holy of Holies, the, the presence of God lived, the veil was torn, and now it's not just available for one high priest. There is a high priest, and he sits in heaven. His name is Jesus. Jesus. It's awesome. Some of y'all knew that. Praise the Lord. And so what I wanted to know is, and what I wanted to share with y'all is, what is the local church? What is each place that gathers together? What's the point? And so, so far in this series, we talked about each place is called a house, a household of faith, that we gather together like a family unit, that a family growing is good, but we're building a house, and the house is built on the rock, and that's Jesus, and he holds all things together, and he's the point, and he's going to be the point, and he always will be the point, and if we don't make him the point, we in trouble. So just in review, let me show you all this. House. Y'all have seen this word before if you've ever been in the yogurt section of your grocery store, right? Greek yogurt. But it does not mean yogurt. It just means house or dwelling. It means the place where the family hangs out and dwells, lives. Like a living room, a, a, a den. And then to build is that word, interestingly, and then another word combined. And it means metaphorically to build up in character. And so in review, the Bible says that we build the house little by little, Isaiah 28, little by little, line by line, precept by precept, that it's a process over time that if you try to build a house in a week, you're in trouble. So if you feel like you're not where you should be, watch this, everybody look at me, welcome to the party. <laughs> Ain't none of us where we should be, but thanks be to the Lord Jesus, a lot of us aren't where we were. Are y'all with me? Come on. Me and, me and Rhonda will clap. The rest of y'all can participate later, right? But here's what I wanted to do is I wanted to take it a little bit different today and say, so what's the house supposed to be? What's the house supposed to look like? And I'm not talking about like what color are the bricks. I'm not talking about the shingles. I'm talking about what's it feel like when you walk in, what's it supposed to be? And remember, metaphorically, this is you personally, and then the gathering place for all believers, in particularly your local assembly, your local congregation, what's it supposed to look like? And I want to tell you why I want to know this. Because my whole life I've heard stuff preached and I've heard stuff taught, and I'm just rebellious, y'all. Just rebellious in my heart because I want to know why. Everybody say why. why? Some of y'all were that. I know some of y'all. And I know y'all were the why kids that your parents looked at like I did mine and said, if you ask me why one more time, I'm going to choke somebody. That was me, and I wanted to know why. And then if I get the why, I want to know still why more because I want to know why are we not doing that? Why is it so hard to do that? What do we need to do to do that? So that's today. 
and I'm excited. Because today's message is titled, y'all say it out loud? House of Prayer. House of Prayer. House of Prayer. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to go in Matthew 21 to where Jesus said specifically, it is written. So he's quoting the Old Testament, but he's also telling them in declaration, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Prayer. House of Prayer. House of Prayer. House of Prayer. Does that mean... This is, this is, I'm letting y'all live my life when I have conversations with me. I know none of the rest of y'all do this, right? Yeah. Me, myself, and I have lots of conversations, all three of us. Does that mean all we should do as a church is just pray? I mean, I'm asking. I, I, ask, I ask myself, all right, so are we doing this wrong? Because we, we did song, song. Really good, by the way. Praise the name of the Lord. And then Mark preaches for minutes. And then <laughs> and then a lot of times we'll do another song and then we talk about some stuff. And so, like, is it supposed to be different? Are we supposed to just pray? And I'm going to argue the answer to that is no. I think... I think I missed the point for a long time. See, the backstory of what's happening here is Jesus walks into what is the current, because he had not died yet, what is the current place where God's spirit lived. Now, I need y'all to get this, because this is so important. So if you're, not, if you're not used to church or you're not educated in this, don't, don't let me lose you. Just stay with me the best you can. But I need you to understand that what offended, what was frustrating, and I, the offense is the wrong word, what, what bothered him so deeply is that the Spirit of God, the place that he lived, the presence of the Lord is the easiest way to say it, was being just, just, just puked on. And, 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 and it was awful what was happening in the tabernacle because right outside of there, right on the other side, right there was the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, that's all that means where God's spirit lived at that time. Before that curtain was torn, before Jesus died on the cross, that's where it was. And he looks around, and I believe now it's, it's figurative. I believe it's metaphorical. I believe it's supposed to show us a picture of what life is like today because we are the place that God's spirit can, watch this, can live. But you got to receive him and trust him as your savior for that to happen. But what happened is Jesus walked in and there was, there was all this business happening, money exchange and things going on. So my whole life I've just thought, in the church we can't exchange money, we can't do this, we can't do this. And I believe that's not anything close to what upset him. I believe this is what upset him. His house was supposed to be a house of prayer and all that word means is the place where we have exchange with God. It's just me talking to God, God speaking back to me. It's an exchange. It's a place where in his presence, in his person, I can just have conversation with him. But instead of the conversation, instead of experiencing his presence in my life, in the house, you've made this a, what's it say? Say it loud. Now, it's interesting. We're talking about a house, but it's really the place where you live. It's the place where you hang out and do life together and all that you grew up like I did, and you got to be a little older because I know some of y'all have never experienced life like this, but y'all just hang with me. I'll explain it. We spent a lot of time in the, four of you said it, but let's all try. We spent a lot of time in the, in the den. 
spent a lot of time in the den because I had three channels growing up, y'all. Let me tell you something, three, not four, not six. We had three. We had three. I had friends that had satellite dishes. Some of y'all have heard me say this before. Promise the satellite dish would have taken up this whole stage. If you wanted to change to another frequency, that joke would say, ding, 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 ding. It took 10 minutes to get it to the other frequency. Y'all remember? And we had these crazy things called telephones that had a cord on it. And, and watch this. I remember in high school, now this is later. <laughs> I remember in high school, if somebody was using the internet and somebody else picked the phone up, what happened to the internet? Gone. <laughs> Y'all remember it? You've got mail. <laughs> This has nothing to do with the message. I just want to tell y'all about it. We, my dad in 1989, I remember this. My dad in 1989 got a cell phone. And we thought he was, the, who, who remembers Say by the Bell? Old people, let me hear that. Y'all remember Zach's, Zach, uh, this was the antenna. The phone's bigger than that. We thought my dad was the coolest thing ever because he would walk around and say, oh, hello, with his, with his Ken Pangle voice, hello. And it was like, my pops has a cellular device. I know, young people, listen, I know. That y'all don't know the world like this. Because my freaking 10-year-old wants a cell phone, what's, a, what's an iPhone. If your 10-year-old has one, to God be the glory for you. But <laughs> ain't no jolly Saint Nick getting her no cell phone. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Not today, Santa. <laughs> we done got off the rails big time. But back in the day, y'all, we spent time in the living room. We spent time in the den because you had three channels or you had outside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when we got Nintendo, we thought we were the coolest thing ever. Not 64-bit, 8-bit. <laughs> Someone say duck hunt. <laughs> we spent time together. We spent time together. It was a den. And, and here's the thing that y'all need to know. And I know I'm kind of half kidding around, but, but for, for centuries... Literally, people lived together. Families would live 10, 12, 15 deep. And they lived together. They did life together. I, I love y'all. I don't want y'all to live with me. But they lived, but, but people did life together. They did life together. And so when he says robber's den, I've never used that word in my entire life, robber's den. Pirates of the Caribbean or something. It's weird. But but we can understand it, right? We can understand We can understand what it's like to live in a place that feels like they're going to take something from me. They're, they're just thieves. They're going to rob me. It's awkward. And so I just simplified it back in the day and said, we're supposed to pray, we're not supposed to steal. I don't think that's it at all. I certainly think it implies that, but I think it's a much more meaningful issue. I believe it has something to do with this, what Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly, live it to the fullest. Listen to me if you don't listen to anything else for the rest of this message, I need you to get this. Your God and my God loves us so much that he's got a plan for our lives that's much better, ha <laughs> ha! than our plan. It is so much better. It is so much greater. It is so much more amazing. But we get robbed of that plan. 
Watch this. This is silly. It's annoying. I'm about to roundhouse kick myself because this is who I'm talking about. The devil didn't rob me. The devil didn't make me do it. The devil doesn't rob me. It's not his. It's, it's not, I'm not going to give him that much authority to say he's made me. He's robbed me. I'm saying he's a manipulator and I rob myself. And I rob you. And we rob each other. And we become a den of thieves because we get manipulated by the enemy. Because I'm here to argue that Satan is the mastermind behind the household becoming the den of thieves. But he is not responsible. I'm responsible. I'm responsible. So before I get in a little deeper on the house of prayer, I want to show you how and why he's responsible. I want to show you. This is only a couple verses in Isaiah 14. But I think it's important to know why he doesn't want you to live in a household of prayer. I think it's important for you to know that. Because he knows the potential, the, the potency that you have in Christ Jesus. And so he doesn't listen to me. If this doesn't offend you, I'm really excited because you're far along in this journey. I just need you to know that I believe, this is not from the Bible, this is my opinion, I believe that Satan really doesn't care if you say Jesus is cool, Jesus did his thing, Jesus died. I don't think he's concerned if we're saved. I think he's concerned if we're surrendered. And I believe you can be saved by confessing that he's Lord and believing in your heart and never live a fullest life because that's an inheritance that only people that walk in freedom obtain. And I think he knows that it doesn't matter if you're saved or lost as long as you're powerless, as long as you don't, as long as you walk in your own authority, as long as you try to be your own boss, as long as you try to be the God of your own universe, you're no threat to his kingdom. And so I just want to show you why he failed because I need y'all to know, some of y'all don't know this, Satan was the most powerful, beautiful, and amazing of all the angels. There were three archangels, y'all listen to me, three, someone say three. three. Gabriel, Michael, Lucifer. Lucifer was the angel over all of worship, all of worship. Worshiping God is our calling, it's our destiny, it's our mandate, it's what we do in heaven there's a void now because Revelation tells us that a third of the angels fell. And I'm only using assumption. It is not what the Bible does not say all of those angels are the angels of worship. But it makes sense that if one third and he was one third, that that's what's void in heaven. And so that's why God gave you the will, the choice to choose whether or not you'll worship him in spirit and in truth. You're the answer to the void in heaven. But Jesus is the only point. So why did he do this? Maybe you're like me and you say, why would God allow this? I mean, he's God. Couldn't he have made it? Couldn't he have made it where we can't sin? Couldn't he have made it where we can't have a den of thieves, robbers? Couldn't he have, if he's God and he's all-powerful and all-knowing and, 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 and as perfect as he is in, in every single way, and why would he do this? And I believe it's because our God is so great and loving that he didn't want a bunch of robots. He wanted a bunch of people out of their own submitted will would offer up glory and honor and praise that he so richly deserves because we know what he paid 
we know how great he is and we offer it up to him as a living sacrifice. We open ourselves up and say, I'm yours. So what the enemy wants to rob you of is that. I just want to take from you so you might know all about him, but you can't have intimacy with him every single day. So this is why he fell. As the maybe the most powerful or one of the three most powerful angels, it said, this is, this is the Lord speaking of Lucifer in Isaiah 14. You said in your heart, I will ascend above the stars of God. Notice all the eyes. And I will set my throne on high. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the... Everybody say this word. Wow. Say it again. Wow. I need y'all to notice it in the puffy things that make it rain. 150 plus times the word cloud is mentioned in the Old Testament. Where this is written... Over 100 of those, it does not mean the things that cause rain. And I'm going to show you what it means in a second. And it says, I will make myself like the most high. Say most high. Now, I could, there's a big passage that explains all this, but I believe, I believe that verse 14 and, and really 13 and 14 give us a good picture of why. I think it's enough to give you a picture. If you want to read the whole thing, you can. And it's powerful. And Ezekiel 28 is the parallel passage of this if y'all want to write that down, if you're taking notes. But look, clouds, most high. Watch this. 1 Kings 8 gives us the picture of what's over 100 times. It says, and when the priest came out of the holy place, remember before Jesus died, there was only one place that the Spirit lived, that the presence of God was. It was the most holy place. Watch what it says. What happened? A, A cloud filled the house. A cloud filled the house. A cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not even stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Now, I could get into a whole message on glory. We're not going to take time. I just need you to know that when the presence of God is readily available and there, that is the word that shows up. It's a heaviness. It's a weightiness. It, it, it changes atmospheres. It makes things different. It doesn't make us weird. We don't have to fall down and flail like a fish. Are y'all okay? Yeah. Some of y'all might fall down. I ain't mad at you. But I'm telling you, we don't have to. It's just the tangible presence that God is there. I do not, in my, my eyes, in 38 years, have never literally seen a cloud. I did see haze in the first service, and I saw it again in the second. Come on, somebody. We're making that happen, not the Holy Ghost. Because listen, if the cloud existed, it should be in here now. This is where he lives. So when we get together sometime, y'all might see a cloud, praise the Lord. But I believe it's symbolic. Do you remember where he said he wanted to ascend above? Y'all tell me. He wanted to ascend above the? Huh. So that means, means that I acknowledge that the presence of God is there but I want to be above it. So the only thing that I want the presence of God for is to fix whatever I need fixed or to do whatever I need done. So I take my genie lamp and say, Lord, now I lay me down to sleep. Bring your cloud below my feet. That was on the fly. Y'all are welcome. <laughs> I don't want to daily live with him in harmony not necessarily having an hour prayer time every day, but just having conversations with God, yielding to him every day. That's what prayer is. 
But I just, I just want to be above the cloud of the Lord. Watch this, second part. This is so powerful. This is so big because Abraham is having this exchange with this king of Salem. I could literally spend an hour telling y'all about this because it's so, so, so cool. Because Salem was a place that they now call something different. Jerusalem. So much to this, so much to this, so cool. But all this was is, is the picture, the, 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 a type of a person that's going to be like Jesus who was to come to be the sacrifice for our sins. And watch what he says to them. I think this is cool. Y'all don't have to. I'm a Bible nerd and I love it. So y'all can think whatever. But look what he brought out. Bread and wine. If you know, if you know what Jesus broke, and gave at the Last Supper, and then the next day broke and gave out of his own body, I'm the bread of life, and I'm shedding my blood. He's the picture of what was going to happen here. Now watch this. This is why it's so powerful about Most High. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram. Blessed be Abram. This is Eventually he'd be called Abraham by God. What's it say? Say it loud. Watch this. This is important. Possessor of heaven and earth. So here's the two things that I believe caused Satan to fall. He wanted to be the possessor, the owner of the stuff. Greed. And he wanted to be above God's presence where he only would have to call on him when he needed him. Two words for that. Pride and greed. Pride and greed. Pride and greed. And this is what I really came to show you today. My whole life, whenever a pastor would preach on the tithe, the tithe, give your money, I would get frustrated because I didn't think it was understandable or it was explained well or I thought it was old and now it's new and it didn't make any sense until, watch this, until the Lord showed me the house of prayer, but we've made it a den of thieves and that the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. And I went, ah, now I see. So this is what my goal is today. I hope y'all can see this because it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Watch this. Malachi chapter three. Malachi chapter three is the last chapter. This is the last book in all of the Old Testament, right before Jesus was going to come. And this is talking about giving your first to God. But watch what it says. He says in the end of verse 7, Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we come back to you? How shall we return? And then here's this word. Will man, y'all say it? Rob. Say it loud. Rob. Will man rob God? I heard messages on, you rob God. You should have put your $100 in the tithing, in the box. And I heard it so angrily. And I just need y'all to know that there was a lot of truth to what they were saying. I just don't think they finished the story. Some of them. It says, because yet you are robbing me. What were we, being, what were we robbing God of? Because this is the question I want to ask out loud. Does God really need my money? Listen to me. Does God really need my stuff? Does God really want me to ha not have my hundred and I got to give up ten? Because that doesn't make any sense. Because the Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't even know what that means, but that means he owns it all, right? 
So if he owns it all, why does he want my 10? He don't want your 10. He wants your heart. He wants to have a place that he can dwell in and watch you accomplish what he built you to do, which is all to bring glory to him, to return it back, to make him Lord of your life, and to receive everything that you need to accomplish his purpose. So I'm going to argue with y'all today that it's not robbing God of his stuff, but because he's a king and because he is sovereign and because he reigns so wonderfully and holy, we rob him of his ability. And he's certainly able to do anything that he wants to do, but because he wrote it and he said it, he never goes against his word. He does not do what he can do because we rob him of what he should do. Because remember, outside of the place, they were doing their own thing, manipulating their way, trying to figure out their own way. And that's what we do every single day, y'all. It just doesn't look like what was happening in those streets of Jerusalem that day. He says, in your tithes and contributions, watch this, that's how we're robbing me. He said, you're cursed, and with a curse, you're robbing me. The whole nation, everybody that falls under this is cursed, is cursed. And I've always thought, well, I gotta give my first 10% because I'm cursed. And I do believe that's important because it's a picture. It's a sign of your entire life saying, God, I'm a living sacrifice. So do not believe that I'm saying for one second that your tithes don't matter. I'm gonna show you that it's bigger than that. But he said, the reason is so that there." By the way, he says, bring your full tithe into the, y'all say this word? Say it loud. To the house. The place that you worship. If this is in your house, you should be given to wherever your local assembly, your local congregation is. He said, so there may be food in my house. And that's not food for the poor. That's the fresh bread of the Lord Jesus. That's the living water. That's the meat that people can be changed by the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And then certainly we'll obey him and do what he says in his word. But that's the food that he's talking about. And then he says something so interesting. And I have always questioned this. God never tells him, to do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not put your Lord your God to the test. Right here, put me to the test. What you talking about, Willis? Right? I know some of y'all feel like I do. Who are you talking to? This is what I believe, y'all. This, this is what I believe with all my heart. This is what you are being robbed and you're a thief. So test me and see if you give me your whole heart, if you surrender everything, if you bring your first fruits of all your life, including your wallet. If I won't open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more, until there is no more. I'm going to preach. Y'all got to stay with me. I need to know, is there anybody listening to me right now that would love an open heaven over their life where there is no more need? Come on. The rest of y'all are liars. Come on. Are y'all with me? We all want an open heaven. We all want an open heaven. Y'all people, y'all don't even have a job, but you want an open heaven. Are you, do you want God to give you everything, everything that you need so you can accomplish what he put you on this planet to do? Yes. That's what we're being robbed of. That's what we're being robbed of. That's why we have a, pot, uh, excuse me, a powerless and impotent 
capital C church. Not because we don't serve the same God that raised Christ from the dead who dwells in us, Romans 8, 11. And not because it hasn't become the house right here that he lives in, but because we are stuck believing that God wants my money. When all God's ever cared about is your heart, and he knows that your possessions will cause you to believe that you are the possessor, and you'll try to hold on. I, I never knew this, but this is the parallel passage. We put it on your offering envelopes. This is Paul speaking to the people of Corinth. And, and I never knew these two went together until this week when I studied this. I thought this was fascinating. Because this does not sound the same till, <laughs> till verse 8. It says, the point is this. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. And then he says, each one must decide in our hearts not reluctantly or under compulsion because God loves a, say it out loud. We enter his gates with and enter his courts with. Huh. I wonder if those two things tie together that because we come to God and we pray with gritted teeth because we try to get them off our backs and then some of us, y'all have been obedient since you were 20 years old and y'all are 60 and you're like, I don't feel heaven's window open up. You made it a chore. You made it something you had to do. I make it something that I have to do. If I can just get God off my back, I'm going to have a prayer time as if I've done something, but not. I get to be with you. Because we don't get to enter into the den. We don't get to boldly go into the throne room where we receive mercy and find grace in our time of need with gritted teeth reluctantly. We don't get to experience the goodness of God under compulsion. God's not going to twist your arm. That's why he made you the way he made you. He wants a cheerful person. He wants a loving person. He does not need you to not bring problems to him. He's a big God. He knows all the things that you've ever been through and all the things that you ever will. He knows there's some things that are so much bigger than you that there's no possibility that you can handle them. What he doesn't want from you is gritted teeth as if, we have to give God something. This is so good, y'all. Are you ready? And God is able to make woo, all grace abound to me. What is grace? It's, it's his goodness that he pours out. It's his favor. Amen. Do me a favor. Come on, everybody say, do me a favor. We ask everybody for favor, but we got it open heaven above us when we come to him the right way. That does not mean you're going to get a Mercedes. If you hear preachers say that, run. He's going to give you what you need to accomplish your purpose so that he can get all the praise. Not, oh, if I give 10, I'm going to get 100 back. Blah. Blah. That's lies. It's manipulation. It's bull crap. And that's kinder than what I really feel, but I'm just trying to be correct. Here we go. So that all grace, so that to make all grace abound to you, to you, to me, so that having all sufficiency in all things, I'm about to do a cartwheel. At all times, you may abound in every good work. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Life and have it more abundantly. Every day, I go through ups, I go through downs, I get, I get a raise. I get a demotion. My kids screw up because they're kids and we were screw ups. 
My kids do great. That's not, that's, that, that is not the definition, any of those things, of life more abundantly. Life more abundantly is I do, and I accomplish everything that God created me to do. And I pour myself out every day because he's let me offer myself as a drink offering. And then he fills me back up. And out of the overflow of experiencing life with him, I pour it out. You can get all the gifts that you want. But if it's not your person being built up, character, that's all this house is being built up every day. Line by line, precept by precept. Here little and they're little. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I was. It is a process in Christ Jesus. And whatever I give to, it's giving back to me. So here's the deal. We have to look ourselves in the mirror and ask this one question. Who is the point? Because watch this. I put on, I put the word for greed, the definition. I thought this was so powerful, y'all. It's to take advantage in order to give myself the upper hand. Greed isn't you want a bunch of money. That's a byproduct of it. Greed is to believe that God hasn't expedited the process fast enough, so I've got to help him out. I'm preaching to y'all. I got a little sweat going in this 38 outside. Come on, somebody. And if y'all were here last week, it's metaphorically to attempt to hold the weight that only God can hold. And I just got good news for y'all. The good news is you don't have to hold it, but the bad news is we all try. There's nobody that is listening to me, no matter how puffed up and self-righteous you might be. There's none of us that probably in the last week, and that may be a lot of credit for us, haven't tried to do this. Oh, I gave my tithes, Pastor. <laughs> okay. But in that conversation with that one person, you tried to get the upper hand rather than let, letting the truth be the truth. Because pride takes on all different forms like a chameleon, and so does greed. And I just want to close with this because I think this is powerful. I need y'all to know that the purpose of this and the way that you become a household of faith, the way that we become a house of prayer is not by trying to pray more hours, but by yielding fully to the Lord understanding that he is the Lord and I'm not. And this is what Ephesians 5 said, and I'm using the New Living for this one. It says, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, greed among you. Such sins have no place in God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes. These aren't for you. Instead, let there be, what's this word? Say it loud. It's interesting, isn't it? Let there be thankfulness. Let there be thankfulness. It's how we enter be thankfulness. Watch. You can be sure that no immoral or impure or greedy, greedy, greedy person will inherit, inherit the kingdom. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. This is what I want to argue. And I believe this with every fiber of my being. I do not believe this says in this passage or in the other passages, y'all look at me right now, that that means you are not saved. Because Galatians 4 says that as long as I'm still a child, I operate as a slave. It is not until I mature that he pours down on me what is rightly 
hours to accomplish his purpose in my life. I have a great inheritance in Christ Jesus, but most of us walk around with this unbelievable inheritance that we name these people that we think are rich and powerful, and their inheritance is nothing compared to yours because yours has Christ tagged to it. But most of us walk around powerless, hungry spiritually because we never receive our great inheritance in Christ Jesus. Why is that? Thank you for asking. This is the word. Everybody say it out loud and proud. What is that word? Lord. See, we say it. Some of us say it like half joking, good. Say it. Lord. Good Lord. But I don't think we get it. I was talking to Leah about this. I was trying to think of ways that maybe we think of Lord. And the only thing that could come to my mind, y'all listen to me, the only thing that could come to my mind was if we rent a house, we have a land. Lord. Say it loud. We have a land. Lord. We have a landlord, which means if I pay my bill, $1,500 a month, $1,000 a month, whatever yours is, they're responsible to come take care of whatever breaks. Y'all with me? But that really doesn't tell this story. Because I'm not renting anything. I feel something right now. I'm just telling y'all. This can break something. There it is. That's what I was feeling. <laughs> I believe this can radically change your life if you can get this simple thing right here. I believe you can understand why you are not a walking house of prayer. Why gathered together we have disunity. That, that in our homes, why harmony is so difficult to come under and have. Because it is a choice, it is not a guarantee. Salvation is a one-time gift by me confessing that Jesus is Lord. But lordship is... And maturing in Christ is an everyday decision. Everyday decision. Everyday decision that no matter what my circumstances are, no matter what's coming against me, no matter what's taking place, I fall under your lordship. This is the only thing that I could think. Landlord doesn't work right. But in a true kingdom, the king owns every house, everything, every business, and they let you operate in it. In a true kingdom, you don't have to pay. You're given your right to have your place. You're given your right to have your business. You're given your right, and the king lets you have it. We live in a democracy where I get to be the possessor of my house. So to change my mindset of what the Lord really is, this is difficult. I can pay my house off in 30, 20, 15, 10 years, whatever I've got, but I don't get to pay my house off because God bought me with a price. See, here's what's crazy is I don't have to pay rent because God already bought it in full with his blood. It was the blood of Jesus that he bought it in full. The only thing that he requires of us, y'all, is to realize what it means to be the Lord. The Lord. So here's what it means. Ah! When Moses was walking through the desert, y'all don't have to know anything about the Bible. You probably know this story. There was a burning, what was it called? A burning burning bush. And he saw it and he said, oh my goodness, he took his sandals off. I guess he had sandals and not Air Force Ones, but who knows. He took his Air Force One sandals off and he said, who do I tell them sent me? Who do I tell Pharaoh sent me? Who do I tell my people when we're going out sent me? And he said, you tell them I am sent me. I who? 
You say, I am sent me. And he said, I am who? He said, I am that I am. The word I am means Jehovah. Guess what that word means? I'm going to give you a hint. Say it. But it means so much more than that because, because Jehovah is just part of it because his name has so much meaning. Because Jehovah Shalom means the Lord of peace. And so if you go looking for peace, guess what? You don't get to find peace. But if you fall under Jehovah, Shalom comes when you need him. You tell him Jehovah Shalom comes. You tell him Jehovah Rapha comes. That's the Lord of healing. He said, I'll heal you spiritually, physically, emotionally. Most of us try to find healing but we have the Lord of healing. And for some of us, that means we get to go to heaven when we die. But guess what? If I don't fall under the Lord, I try to get above the clouds and hope he'll come catch up to me. It is coming under. It is fully surrendering. It is looking at him every day saying, I'm not you. So if you say go, I'll go. If you say run, I'll run. If you say walk, I'll walk. But whatever you say, I'm going to do it because you are my Lord. Period. I don't make bargains with God. I don't do business with God and say, if you do this, then I'll do this. When I'm fully surrendered to God, I say, you say and I'll do. You say and I'll do. You say and I'll do. Because what we want is a God that'll come to me in prayer. But what he desires is your house to be a dwelling place of prayer, to be a place where his presence constantly is, to be a place where you can know that he is with you, to be a place where you can know no matter what comes against you, Jehovah and whatever we need shows up because he is willing and able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ask or even imagine, even think of, but because we get so stuck in our old selves, in our old ways, we try to get above the fray. We say we want to get above the clouds. We say our minds are getting cloudy, but the problem is it ain't those clouds that are the problem. It's this one that's supposed to live in me. And most of us only pray in our time of need and not walk around. You don't have to have weird prayers, y'all. You don't have to have a candle lit. You can know that he is always with you. Sometimes it'll just be a feeling right here in your gut. But you'll know that you know that he is with you through all things. But only when you realize he's not mad at you. Only when you realize that when he says, return to me and I will return to you. And when he says, stop robbing me, he certainly means your money because he knows that that is what grips the United States of America, greed. But you can bring your money all you want and if you don't bring your heart, you ain't got him. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I need somebody who needs to return to the Lord or to call on him for the first time to just confess that today. Will you bow your heads? with your heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm gonna ask it this way. Who's ready to make their lives a household of prayer? That everywhere you walk, everywhere you live, everything you do, 
You're a living testimony of the goodness of God. Not how you preach, not how you talk about it, but the way you live as a result of what he's done in you. Realizing that you can do all that you can do, but if you've got to make it happen yourself, you're going to be crushed by the weight of unrealistic expectations because pride is a killer, a stealer, and a destroyer. How many of y'all would just raise your hand and say, that's what I want? Put it, put it up, put it right back down. That's what I want, Pastor. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands all over the room. I just wonder if there's anybody that would raise their hand and say, I just want to raise my hand and acknowledge that I'm ready to make Jesus the Lord of my life right now, to call on his name and to confess that I need him to save me from my sin, to rescue me from this darkness that I've lived my life in, and to give me a brand new life in Jesus Christ. If that's you, I just want you to throw your hand up and say, that's me, Pastor. Thank you. Will you keep your hand up? Who else? That's me. That's me. I want to give Jesus everything. I'm offering him my life because he gave his life. I want him to be Lord. Thank you so much, ma'am. Thank you so much. God, we just love you. And we just want to confess how good you are. You are Lord. Everything belongs to you. Who are we that we get to give? So thank you that you want a relationship with us and that you're so good. We stand and sing such an incredible song to you, God, because you're worthy. You're worthy. We love you, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Y'all stand with us.